Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Amid the energy crisis, the White House says the U.S. doesn't need to drill more oil domestically. It says refiners need to boost productivity. A message one representative has for colleagues in the House, quote, don't draft our daughters. The message comes in opposition to efforts that seek to include women in the case of a military draft. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor says mistakes can be fixed over time, referring to government institutions, including the Supreme Court. And will a deal to purchase Spanish-language radio stations prevent U.S. listeners from getting reliable information about what happens in Cuba? We hear concerns from a Cuban exile and coordinator for a resistance group. Amid record high gas prices, the White House Thursday rejected calls from oil companies and Republicans to increase oil drilling in the United States. It said the U.S. doesn't need to drill more, the U.S. needs to refine more. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre Thursday was asked why the Biden administration is pressuring oil companies to increase refining instead of expanding drilling in the United States. Because we don't need to do that. What we need them to do is with the oil that's out there, we need the to, them to refine that oil so that, we, so that prices, so that the capacity could go up and then prices would go down. Right after President Biden took office, he signed a flurry of executive orders, including suspending new drilling leases on federal lands and ending the Keystone XL pipeline project. Republicans say this has caused gas prices to go up. But Democrats and Biden blame rising prices on the COVID-19-related slowdown and the conflict in Ukraine. According to AAA, as of Friday, the national average price for a gallon of regular is $5. In California, it's $6.42. Biden's increasingly blamed energy companies for the hike. Earlier this week, he wrote a letter to oil companies and threatened to use executive action if they don't increase capacity at their refineries. And it looks like companies are trying to. Customs data show that U.S. refiners last month imported the highest number of crude barrels in nearly two years. Meanwhile, during the live stream event this week, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm recommended that Americans feeling pain at the pump should switch to electric vehicles. But Republican lawmakers accused Granholm, a former Michigan governor, of being out of touch with how much average Americans can afford. According to Kelly Blue Book's late 2021 figures, the average price of a new electric vehicle was around $56,000. In contrast, the average price of a new compact was about $25,000. Meanwhile, on Thursday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, said Biden needs to take responsibility for the energy crisis. DeSantis said Biden campaigned, saying he was going to shut down energy production in the U.S. And now DeSantis says Biden has a lot of chutzpah to attack energy producers. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. T-Mobile is offering some help to pay for gas this summer. The wireless carrier is taking 25 cents off a gallon for its customers at Shell stations. This will likely be attractive to people hitting the road for vacation, as Friday's national average for gas is $5 even, according to AAA. T-Mobile also has perks for those making a getaway by plane. It's handing out free streaming and connectivity on flights. These offers are scheduled to start June 21st. 
A major bipartisan victory at the Senate can help millions of American veterans. A bill known as the PACT Act would expand health benefits to military members who become sick from toxic chemicals in burn pits. They were commonly used to get rid of waste throughout Iraq and Afghanistan. They included all kinds of hazardous materials. The Department of Veterans Affairs says those who were near burn pits are likely to have suffered short-term or long-term health problems. The bill is officially called the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act of 2022. It passed the Senate Thursday by a vote of 84 to 14. and now heads to the House of Representatives. Speaker Nancy Pelosi promises she'll get it to President Biden for a signature quickly. Representative Chip Roy of Texas has a message for other House Republicans. He is asking his colleagues to vote against any measure that would require young women to register for a military draft. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. Congressman Roy is calling for the removal of a Senate-approved provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that would make women register with the Selective Service System. That's according to a letter exclusively obtained by the Epic Times on Thursday. This after seven Republicans in the Senate Armed Services Committee voted in favor of the measure. Roy called the move pathetic on Twitter and is asking Republicans in the House to oppose the provision. The congressman says he's grateful to the thousands of women enlisted in the United States Armed Forces and thanks them for their service and sacrifice, but says it's wrong to force war upon American wives, our sisters, and daughters. Last year, a similar provision in the annual National Defense Authorization Act won the support of 316 members of the House, but was later removed from the bill. In the letter, Roy laid out his reasons for opposing the idea. First, he says women and men are different in combat roles, citing a series of military-led studies on physical requirements and combat effectiveness. Second, Roy addressed the claim that women would never actually be drafted anyway saying he doesn't trust that wouldn't happen as there have been two drafts during his father's lifetime and one during his. Third, he criticized the symbolic nature of the proposal, calling it an exercise of equity. Roy says there are 17 million men of draft registration age and some 60 million able-bodied men of fighting age from age 18 up to 49 in the U.S. He also dismissed arguments of other countries having women draft eligible and says the prospect of ending the draft at a later time doesn't justify making women draft eligible now. It remains unclear if the provision will be included in the final draft of the act. Even then, it will still need the support of at least 60 senators to pass the filibuster rule. If Roy can garner enough support from his colleagues and the issue seems to be endangering the passage of the act, it's likely the provision will be removed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Former Vice President Mike Pence is back in the spotlight. The 3rd January 6th hearing was on Thursday. It sought to connect what it describes as a pressure campaign by former President Donald Trump to what happened on January 6th. But others say such narratives are one-sided. NTD's Iris Tao has more. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. This moment back in the spotlight as the January 6th panel on Thursday turned the focus on Mike Pence and what it called a pressure campaign from former President Donald Trump. Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence to do something no other vice president has ever done. The former president wanted Pence to reject the votes and either declare Trump the winner or send the votes back to the states to be counted again. Showing clips from the Capitol breach. I hear the Pence just caved. And from Trump's rallies. And Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution. 
the panel seeks to connect pressure on Pence to what happened on January 6. While the former vice president was not in the room, the panel heard from his top legal advisors who said it was a baseless theory that Pence could reject the election outcome and that they told Pence as such. Our review of text, history, um, and frankly just common sense all confirmed the vice president's first instinct on that point. There is no uh, justifiable basis to conclude that the vice president has that kind of authority. One witness added that if Pence did reject the votes, would have been tantamount to a revolution within a constitutional crisis. Trump, meanwhile, accused the panel of picking one-sided witnesses and on Thursday demanded, quote, equal time on the networks airing the hearings. And attorney Ed Martin told NTD that he thinks the hearings are only telling one side of the story. They're telling one side of the story. I don't even know if it's all a lie, but I can tell you when someone shows a carefully edited video of just a few moments of something that went on for hours, for example, interviews, and then they tell you what that means, they're, they're either lying to you or deceiving you or something. Trump previously refuted allegations by Representative Liz Cheney that he had supported the Hank Mike Pence slogan. And Martin said he hopes viewers of the hearings can look for facts on their own. So I would tell the American people, whenever you see any entity, Republican, Democrat, Independent, who tells you this is the truth and allows no questioning of that, no meaningful questioning, then they're lying to you. And after Thursday, two more hearings are slated for next week, one on June 21st and another on June 23rd. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. A very chilling scene caught on camera as a car plows into a store in Massachusetts. A car with a bumper sticker critical of former President Trump crashes into a store that sells Trump gear. This is the New England for Trump store in Easton. No one was hurt inside the shop, but the owner said a little boy had been with his mom right by the window and an employee inside barely missed being hit. The 46-year-old man driving the car was taken to a hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police are investigating the incident. California Governor Gavin Newsom joins social media platform Truth Social. He says he joined the platform, founded by former President Donald Trump, in order to call out what he calls Republican lies. He posted a video to the platform saying he is looking for an explanation for murder problems in red states. He says eight of the top ten states with murder problems are Republican-led. Several cities in Newsom state have been criticized for rising crime rates and so-called soft-on-crime stances. In San Francisco, voters recalled District Attorney Chesa Boudin over his policies, and Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon is also facing a recall effort. In an interview last week, Newsom downplayed Boudin's recall. When asked if Democrats are responsible for homelessness and other issues prominent in San Francisco and elsewhere, Newsom said both parties have the same issues in cities across the U.S. In a small subdivision outside of Dallas, Texas, residents have been blaming Section 8 housing recipients for the recent increase in crime. Now their homeowners association has made a move that some are calling discriminatory. Entity's Jason Perry has the story. As seen in this video, posted by Providence Village News, an American flag hangs in front of a home in what was once a peaceful neighborhood. A shootout can be heard in the middle of the night 
Residents of Providence Village, Texas, which is just north of Dallas, have been complaining about an increase in crime as more Section 8 voucher recipients move into the subdivision. Earlier this month, the Providence Village HOA did something about the low-income residents who pay rent with Section 8 housing vouchers. This video was also posted by Providence Village News. A rent house may not be used for publicly financed or subsidized housing programs such as Section 8 housing. Violators of Providence Village's new rental and leasing rules may be fined $300 a week. NBC5 DFW showed the stories of two Section 8 recipients who live in the neighborhood. One had this to say. I cannot think of any other way to, to sum, sum it up aside, besides discrimination. And a tenant advocate told NBC this. There's certainly a correlation um, and disproportionate effect on um, certain races and ethnicities that are going to be um, become homeless and kicked out of their homes because of this decision. And that's what becomes problematic under the law. A Providence Village homeowner said this in a letter to the editor of the Denton Record Chronicle. I worked hard to be a homeowner, and the crime uptick is correlated to the transient culture that has taken over in the last three years. One report suggests there may be some truth to that. According to a study done by Texas A&M University, after men received Section 8 housing vouchers, the number of men arrested for violent offenses increased threefold. The researchers said, we attribute this increase to the additional funds and leisure time available to voucher recipients that can be used to commit crimes. Both of these mechanisms have been shown to increase illegal activity. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, in 2018, 2.1 million people received Section 8 rental assistance. Jason Perry, NTD News. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor says mistakes in high-profile cases can be corrected over time. That's ahead of a decision in which the court is expected to overturn Roe v. Wade. Institutions are made up by human beings. Because we are human, by necessity, we make mistakes. It is the nature of the human enterprise that people, as people, as judges, as politicians, as presidents, as whatever, that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have errors of judgment. Sotomayor told the annual meeting of a liberal legal group that the court has made changes to the law over time. She didn't specifically name the court's anticipated decision on Roe v. Wade. Early in May, a leaked draft ruling indicated that the court is set to overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that legalized abortion nationwide. The draft opinion set off a political firestorm. Pro-abortion supporters staged rallies outside the courthouse and at locations around the United States. Chief Justice John Roberts ordered an investigation into the source of the unprecedented disclosure. Cuban-Americans are opposed to a deal to purchase Spanish-language radio stations across the U.S. Florida politicians, such as Senator Marco Rubio and Governor Ron DeSantis, have criticized the move, and some are even trying to contest it using legal means. We hear from a coordinator of a coalition who is speaking out about the deal. Joining us now is Orlando Gutierrez-Boronat, who is the coordinator of the Assembly of the Cuban Resistance. Thank you for joining us, Orlando. Thank you for having me here. Democratic fundraisers have reportedly backed an effort to purchase Spanish language radio stations across the country. Why does your organization oppose this? 
Well, we're concerned because in, this, in, the, in the case of Miami, these two stations who are included in the deal have been hubs of accurate information about what happens in Cuba with repression and with persecution against those who think differently from the communist regime. These stations have, all, have also been hubs of mobilization and organization of the community to support the struggle for freedom in Cuba. And they've done well. They, they, these stations make money because the community participates in them. And we're afraid, we're concerned that this buyout is a political investment aimed at an ideological colonization of our community to try to impose on us a narrative that has nothing to do with truth. Uh, we live in truth. We know what's happened in Cuba. We know what communism is. And it's a, it's a central part of our daily concerns and awareness. This is a very hardworking community, very prosperous, but it's also one that hasn't forgotten its, its, its countrymen who are in prison in Cuba, who are persecuted. And especially now that there's been a popular uprising in Cuba and there's so much uh, repression and persecution. So that's why the assembly expressed its concern and we're gonna mobilize, we're gonna be active through all legal means to make sure that these stations continue to report accurately on what happens in Cuba and continue to, to serve in an objective manner the values, the traditions, and the goals of, of this community. Why do you think that the people who are backing this effort would provide anything but truthful information? I think there's, our concern is that there's a, a history of a very hard left, woke activism on the part of the two main persons who are leading this, this purchase. They're not putting the money, there's someone else apparently is. And I believe that that narrative, left-wing narrative, often conflicts with the, with the realities we know about what socialism is and what communism is. Cubans don't need to go to books to, to know what happened in Cuba. We've lived it. We know what a communist regime is. It's always good to have education, debate, awareness, different points of views. That's fine. But we oppose, in principle, an attempt to impose on us a false reality, a false narrative that has nothing to do with what we know is happening in Cuba, in Venezuela, in Nicaragua, and other countries which, which have suffered the plight of communist occupation. Now, this deal is $60 million, and it aims to acquire 18 Spanish-language radio stations across the country. The FCC has not approved the deal. What do you expect to happen? Well, we hope the FCC looks at the community. We believe in, in a free economy. We believe in entrepreneurship. We believe people should buy and sell. But we also think that when it comes to communication in the public space, the FCC has a role. And it should look at the concerns of the community. Uh, it should look about what the, the voices that exist here. The, the voices who are persecuted and powerless, and if not for these stations for many, many decades, these voices will not have been heard because uh, the international left, and there is an international left, of course, the, the, the socialist party structure around the world has, has done a great deal to silence the reality about persecution in Cuba, about human rights violations. The same thing has happened with China. You know, until very recently, there's been, there's been an imposed artificial neutrality about repression in China. The same thing has happened with the communist regime in Cuba. And we're gonna do everything we can through our civic means to prevent stations in our own community who grew out of this community from becoming uh, hubs or becoming venues for the ideological colonization of the Cuban exile community. Orlando Gutierrez Boronat at the Assembly of the Cuban Resistance. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Just ahead, flooding at Yellowstone National Park is affecting the local economy. Potential visitors are canceling hotel reservations and leaving local businesses struggling. And native fish at Lake Powell could be threatened by invasive species as water levels in the reservoir drop. Experts are trying to preserve the native fish population before it's too late. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News.
Many remote towns in southern Montana are facing the loss of tourist dollars. That's due to unprecedented flooding at Yellowstone National Park, but Red Lodge is facing a double disaster. It will have to clean up the damage done by the flooding and also figure out how to survive without the summer business that sustains it for the rest of the year. All of my 13 rooms on the lower floor were flooded. They had five feet of standing water in them. Um, We've got it pumped out, but the damage is catastrophic. I'm getting phone calls from business people saying their reservations are canceling clear through September and it is devastating for them. They're kind of in a state of shock right now. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go with this? Fortunately, we have insurance so that, you know, we are able to weather this. So we'll keep our employees. We'll make sure that we're doing the right thing for our communities and giving back. So the town was under a boil water advisory and truck supplied drinking water to half the town that was without it. Portable toilets were put in place for those who couldn't flush at home. The Yodeler Motel was once home to Finnish coal miners. It faced its first shutdown since it began operating as a lodge in 1964. The owner said he's going to have to get to get the lower level in two weeks so he can salvage it and start earning an income again. Eleven people in Florida were saved after their boat capsized thanks to a group of good Samaritans. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office says it got a call Sunday evening that several people were stranded near Beer Can Island. Their boat had turned upside down in the water and several people were swimming around it. That's when a nearby boat came over and started lifting people from the water. Everyone was rescued and brought safely back to land. One person went to the hospital for chest pains and shortness of breath. As water levels drop at Lake Powell, a native species of fish could be threatened. Scientists fear that an invasive non-native species could soon wreak havoc on the local ecosystem. Here are the details. Water storage in Lake Powell has declined over the last 20 years due to rising temperatures and drought. With lower reservoir levels, invasive predator fish may soon be able to get past the dam into the lower sections of the Colorado River. Those warm surface layers where those fish are become closer to the turbines and the intakes of the dam. And so these fish are being pulled through, more, more likely to be pulled through into the river below the dam and into Grand Canyon where they prey on and compete with uh, juveniles and actually adult humpback chub in the river, threatening those populations. Brian Healy, fisheries biologist at Grand Canyon National Park, says humpback chub are found nowhere else on Earth and that the Grand Canyon is really unique and special for native species in the Colorado River Basin, as the fish community is dominated by native species. This is something that we don't have throughout the Colorado River, where there have been many more introductions of invasive species, smallmouth bass, northern pike, and other things that are, that are dominating the fish community and leading to declines in, in those species elsewhere. So Grand Canyon is very unique, and we want to keep it that way. Barrett Friesen, a graduate student at Utah State University, is on a mission to save the humpback chub with his colleagues. He says that above Lake Powell in the upper Colorado River, smallmouth bass have already become invasive, and authorities spend millions of dollars every year to try and suppress their numbers. Because up there they're having already having a strong negative impact on the native fish. We fear that they will have the same strong impact to the native fish below the dam if they get past the dam and into the lower river as well. Experts say smallmouth bass and other non-natives could pass through the dam in significant numbers as early as this fall. A diverse work group known as the Glen Canyon Dam Adaptive Management Program is urgently drafting solutions to respond to the risk of unwanted fish. 
California won't be listing the iconic Western Joshua tree as a threatened species for now. The California Fish and Game Commission voted 2-2 two to two Thursday on whether to list the tree under the state's Endangered Species Act. The tie vote doesn't mean the tree won't be listed. Instead, the commission will hear the issue again in October. In the meantime, they want more feedback from tribes and ask the Department of Fish and Wildlife to work on a conservation plan. There was broad agreement that hotter temperatures and more extreme droughts are a danger to the trees. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Uber Eats is using a network of autonomous vehicles to drop food orders off to customers. The robots are part of a pilot program in Hollywood, and they're quickly becoming local celebrities. And this is the final journey of New York City's iconic R32 subway cars. The MTA is replacing the model with newer ones. Find out more in just a minute. Uber is turning to sidewalk robots to deliver meals in California. The ride-sharing app's food division, Uber Eats, is using a network of autonomous vehicles tasked with dropping off orders to customers in a pilot program in Hollywood. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The robots resemble shopping carts. They're given names like Zoe and Quinn, and traits like light-up eyes to make them seem more human to pedestrians on the sidewalk. They even utter greetings like, excuse me, as they pass each other in the street. We wanted something that belongs on the sidewalk, something that's familiar, not frightening, but also kind of fresh and fun. So people see these robots, they see the eyes, they see the personality. It actually, you know, it it adds something to your day. Local restaurateurs say that the robots are quickly becoming local celebrities. Maximiliano Weschler runs Lala's Argentine Grill in Hollywood. The restaurant has been involved in the pilot since the start. I think it's incredible, and I actually, I mean, from day one, I was a big advocate for it. I saw, I saw the potential in it, and I still see the potential, and I see that this is the direction that we're heading for the future. Um, so, you know, it's, for me, it's exciting. It's good times. Serve Robotics has been testing the robots for two years, but only recently integrated with Uber Eats. It was originally a division of rival delivery service Postmates, which was acquired by Uber in 2020. Now it's a separate organization, allowing it to explore other delivery opportunities outside of food service. If you fast forward in a few years, they're going to move a lot of other things. Any, if you need groceries or alcohol or pharmacy or, or basically anything else. In fact, I think it's a bit of an iPhone moment where we may not know what people are going to move with these once they become so readily available. The vehicles are fully autonomous, but they're monitored by human pilots at a nearby base in case of any issues. I make sure that the robot doesn't go off course, isn't going to crash into anything, or if there's anything in its way, I kind of move it out of its way and help the robot. Uber's also working on a second, separate pilot program. It's using autonomous cars to deliver food in nearby Santa Monica. That initiative launched last month. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
Lyft has agreed to a $25 million settlement with shareholders. That's after being accused of hiding safety problems. A lawsuit was filed because investors accused the rideshare company of not disclosing reports of Lyft drivers assaulting female passengers. The omission of possible sexual assaults came before its initial public offering, and Lyft was accused of trying to appear more socially responsible than its rival Uber. The settlement agreement is pending approval by a federal judge in Northern California. Lyft continues to deny the allegations and has not responded to a request for comment. It's the end of the line for many of the old subway cars that remain in New York City rail yards. The MTA is removing all subway cars of a certain model and replacing them with newer ones. Let's take a look. New York City's iconic R32 subway cars were put into service in the mid-1960s. Back then, people called the shiny new train cars bright liners. Over several decades, millions of people have traveled on them. But the days when the iconic stainless steel cars were used to transport passengers are long gone. We're moving the iconic R32 subway cars that have been in existence since 1964 uh, for final removal for the, the scrapping and recycling of their parts. Uh, so to make room in the system for new cars that are being put into the system. The MTA has replaced the 600 R32 subway cars with newly built R179 train cars. The old train cars are now being floated away to Jersey City, fated to be turned into scrap metal. Several years ago, outdated NYC subway cars were placed in the Atlantic Ocean to create artificial reefs to protect the shoreline from flooding and provide habitat for sea life. But the stainless steel trains collapsed in the salt water, so scrapping the metal is now the preferred way to dispose of old NYC subway cars. It represents to me a, a, a change that after the pandemic we're moving ahead with our society. We're changing out some of the cars that needed to be changed. We're bringing in the new improved cars. From Jersey City, conductors will drive the old train cars by rail to Ohio, where a scrap company will recycle or discard them for reprocessing. For those mourning the R32s, the MTA says the scrap company will save some of the parts for selling as memorabilia or collectibles. I wouldn't so much as a, as a, as a funeral, but I would say it's more of a respectful movement out of the system. They, they owe it to be put out on rail. It's while they existed their lives for decades, so they, they deserve to be brought to their final rest out on a rail system. Around 200 unused R32s remain in rail yards in the city. Most of those will soon join the rest of the fleet and become scrap metal in Ohio, and the MTA will keep the remaining few for non-revenue service. NASA inducted three veteran astronauts into the U.S. Astronaut Hall of Fame. That was at a ceremony Saturday at the Kennedy Space Complex in Cape Canaveral. The prestigious award went to astronauts David Liesma, Sandra Magnus, and Chris Ferguson. The space agency said the awards are for, quote, outstanding accomplishments in furthering NASA's mission of exploration and discovery. Their induction brings the total number of astronauts in the Hall of Fame to 105. The award was launched in 1990, and since 2016, inductees have been showcased at the Heroes and Legends attraction at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. And still to come, European leaders visit Ukraine. The war-torn nation hopes France, Italy, and Germany will follow up the gesture with weapons, but Russia says that'll make things worse. Stay tuned for more in just a minute. A third American is missing in Ukraine. He is former Marine Grady Kirpasi. His wife confirmed his identity. He went to the country in March to help the Ukrainian people. 
A family friend says he did not plan to fight, but ended up manning an observation post near Kherson. The friend says Foreign Legion troops last heard from him on April 26th when he reported on a radio that his post was taking fire and to shoot back. According to Kirpasi's wife, the State Department listed him missing in action on April 28th. Officials have not publicly released his identity. The State Department has revealed the identities of two other men. They also went missing after fighting alongside Ukrainians. Their families and fellow fighters believe they have been captured by Russian forces. The leaders of France, Germany and Italy visited Ukraine on Thursday. It's a show of support that Kyiv hopes will be followed by more weapons and tougher action to help in the war with Russia. A show of support among the rubble in Irpin. After French President Emmanuel Macron, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi arrived in Ukraine. Irpin was one of the main hotspots of fighting with Russian troops in the north before they pulled back to intensify their offensive in the east. Macron called the town heroic and said there were signs war crimes were committed. The French president has been criticized at home and abroad for not going to Ukraine earlier. He has repeatedly said he would only go if and when the visit could be useful and not just symbolic. The trio arrived together by train in a show of unified solidarity, but it remains to be seen what concrete steps they bring. A message of unity we're sending to the Ukrainians, yes, of support, to speak about today, but also the future, because we know the weeks to come will be very difficult. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wants his visitors to deliver more arms to help his hard-pressed army withstand the Russian invaders. Kyiv has accused France, Germany and to a lesser extent Italy of foot-dragging, being slow to deliver weapons and putting their own prosperity ahead of Ukraine's freedom and security. Ukraine has been particularly critical of Germany's military aid and wants Schultz to hand over heavy weapons that have been promised but not yet delivered. Schultz has dismissed allegations he's held back, saying Germany was one of the biggest military and financial backers of Ukraine. Kiev officials have also expressed fears of pressure to accept a peace deal favorable to Russia. The Kremlin said the leader's visit shouldn't only focus on supplying weapons to Ukraine. It's absolutely useless, spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said and will prolong suffering and cause further damage. The European Union's executive is expected to propose on Friday that Ukraine become a formal candidate for membership, diplomats and officials say. Dutch authorities say they've foiled an attempt by a Russian spy. He tried to gain access to the International Criminal Court by pretending to be an intern. They say a suspected operative of Russia's military intelligence service posed as a 33-year-old man from Brazil. He successfully applied for the job at the ICC in The Hague, but when he arrived in the Netherlands, he was deemed a potentially very high threat and refused entry. The ICC is currently investigating allegations of Russian war crimes in Ukraine, so access to the court would have been highly valuable to Moscow. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. The Mexican Navy seized nearly 3,000 pounds of a substance believed to be cocaine from two boats in the Oaxaca state. The seizure took place days ago when the Navy spotted two suspicious boats by the Huatuco coast in Oaxaca. 
Noticing the Navy was following them, the crew flew to the Chakwahawa Lake and moved to the shipment to a vehicle. When a Navy helicopter intercepted the van, the alleged traffickers abandoned the vehicle. It was loaded with 36 packs of a substance believed to be cocaine. The case is now in the hands of the prosecutor's office. During 2022, 14 tons of cocaine have been seized along Mexico's coasts. Colombian police found nearly 3,000 pounds of cocaine shaped as potatoes and yucca. Authorities consider it one of the most innovative tricks for trafficking drugs they've seen in recent years. The seizure took place in the port city of Cartagena. That's where officers discovered a container with what looked like frozen, ready-to-fry potato and yucca bags. They were being shipped to European ports such as Lipson and Valencia. Authorities said traffickers used hydraulic presses to shape the substance, and potatoes and yucca chunks looked very realistic. But the bags had no expiration date, which made police suspicious. Colombia's anti-narcotic police chief said this is quite an original shipment. Peru has registered some very low temperatures this year. The National Meteorology Service has issued warnings after temperatures reached 6 degrees below zero. Although winter starts on June 21st, many regions have experienced unusually cold temperatures, such as the Andean Hunan, where pastures were covered in white and grass turned to ice. A cattle farmer from Hunan had to cover calves with blankets to avoid losing more animals to the cold. He regrets not having more government assistance. The National Meteorology Service issued snow warnings and warnings about abrupt temperature drops, in particular in the Andean zones. Peru's lowest temperature on record is negative 19 degrees in August 2003. World record Chilean swimmer Barbara Hernandez says she takes her world Guinness record with high responsibility. She won after swimming between the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans in southern Chile. Hernandez announced on her Instagram account she had broken the Guinness record. She swam one nautical mile in 15 minutes and three seconds in February. The World Open Water Swimming Association also awarded her for being the first person to swim three nautical miles between both oceans. The 36-year-old psychologist and swimmer is also known as the Ice Mermaid. She said the award allowed her to show Chilean waters to the rest of the world. During her feat, Hernandez was monitored closely by the Chilean Navy. She wasn't allowed to receive assistance, stop to rest, or even wear a wetsuit. Scientists believe the Hubble telescope has detected a black hole right in our backyard. Of course, that's speaking in astronomy terms. It's actually about 5,000 light years away in a spiral arm of our Milky Way known as Carina Sagittarius. The black hole might look similar to what you are seeing, which is actually an artist's impression. Scientists identified it when Hubble observed deflected starlight bent by the collapsed star's massive gravitational pull. Researchers believe this black hole is in motion and think there are about 100 million more free-floating black holes moving about our galaxy. They form when stars explode in a supernova and the remaining core is crushed by its own gravity. This newest discovery helped astronomers estimate the closest one could be about 80 light years away. Coming up, you can now visit the original house that appeared in the 1986 movie Top Gun. It is in Oceanside, California and has just opened to the public recently. And this year's Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show will begin on Saturday. 
Over 3,000 dogs will compete for titles in various championships. We'll have more for you in just a minute. A tiny pastel blue bungalow in Oceanside, California is none other than the Top Gun House. The house is now open to the public and is drawing visitors who are fans of the movie. Let's take a look. This house in Oceanside, California was owned by Tom Cruise's love interest in the 1986 film Top Gun and was used to film their romantic scenes together. The house has been open to the public for a month. You get to relive that magical, quintessential Southern California moment when Tom Cruise is coming up the coast in his Kawasaki 900, and there's a replica right outside the house that you can jump on and really relive that moment of the coastal breezes going through your hair, which is a lot of fun. We are located adjacent to the historic Oceanside Wooden Pier, so if you take a look back at the original Top Gun, you can see the same scenes with this house that has new life in 2022. The house isn't where it was originally located in the movie. The owner decided to relocate it and is now nestled between the Mission Pacific Hotel and apartment blocks. It was in a state of disrepair and the owners decided to raise it one block south of here and relocate it to give it a little bit more life and a little bit different lens. They restored the paint color to the original motion picture in 1986 and what was carried throughout from a theme standpoint was the reds whites and blues. So a lot of Americana on the exterior, which then translated to the high pies, which is served on the inside of the home. Visitors can enjoy memorabilia and photographs from the original film and also eat a slice of pie on the house's balconies and patio. How do the visitors like the house? Well, my reaction is like the movie, I want to live there. <laughs> because in, in the old movie, because it's just beach and house and that's what I'd love. So I love this house. I want to live in it. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. It looks totally different than what it did in the first movie. I remembered it just being on a street kind of by itself in the ocean, so uh, it's a nice memory from a good movie. We didn't even know it was filmed here, and then we drove past this morning, and we were big fans of the movie. We're going to watch it again tonight, and we just kind of wanted to relive a little bit of our childhood. Outside the house is a replica of Cruz's motorcycle that visitors can enjoy. Over 200 breeds of dogs will participate in the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show in Terrytown, New York this weekend. This is the second longest continuously running sporting event in the U.S. Let's take a look. Nearly 3,500 dogs will participate in this year's Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. The dogs will fight for titles in competitions such as the 9th Annual Masters Agility Championship on Saturday and the 7th Annual Masters Obedience Championship on Monday. Here's a preview of the agility test. The most challenging obstacle is the weave pole. Uh, because, you know, jumping, climbing, that's kind of natural for a dog. But going back and forth in 12 poles, that's a little, that's pretty advanced, and it's a little unnatural. So that takes a while to train. Um, there's a certain way they have to go in, there's a certain way they have to come out. And um, it takes a while to train to get them to do it consistently, reliably, from different angles, and to do it well. The director of communications at Westminster Kennel Club says part of the attraction that dog breeds and dog shows have to people is their history. The participating dogs are all bred for a specific purpose, to work with and to help humans. Purebred dogs are helping our communities as search and rescue dogs, military, police, medic alert dogs in lots of different ways, um, service dogs, and so having these 
predictable purebred dogs in our com in our communities and so celebrating their differences and their unique instincts and, and histories, um, we think it's invaluable. During the preview, organizers also announced two new breeds in this year's competitions. One of them is the Moody, a medium-sized farm dog from Hungary, originally bred to herd sheep and cattle. The other is called the Russian Toy. New breeds the Moody and the uh, Russian uh, toy that you saw earlier, they're, uh, you know, they come from uh, uh, very distinct backgrounds, uh, very uh, limited breeding. This year, organizers will not hold the show at its traditional home at Madison Square Garden in Manhattan. The famed New York City Dog Show will take place again at the Lindhurst Estate in Terrytown, New York, playing into this year's theme of old meets new as we honor our, Man our Manhattan heritage while embracing our Westchester County adventure. The televised contest starts on Saturday, June 18th and ends on Wednesday, June 22nd. The judges will determine which dog is best in show on the last day. Twelve Magellanic penguins returned home after being rescued and rehabilitated by the Argentine Mundo Marino Foundation. The birds were rescued in the province of Buenos Aires between February and April. They showed signs of malnutrition, dehydration, parasites, and even hypothermia due to lack of feathers. Mundo Marino's technical director said, quote, The possible cause of these pathologies could be climate change, food scarcity, and environmental pollution. Mundo Marino veterinarians and technicians helped bring the birds back to health in their center, which is located on the coast of Argentina. With Father's Day approaching, let's take a look at five classic movies. They unpack the unique and special bond between fathers and their daughters. Simply defending Tom Robinson. There's been some talk that I shouldn't do much about defending this man. Then why are you doing it? If I didn't, I couldn't hold my head up in town. The first recommendation, To Kill a Mockingbird, the 1962 film is named one of the best courtroom dramas of all time. It features a widower who imparts wisdom to his young, impressionable children. The movie is based on the landmark novel of the same name by Harper Lee. How can we be so different? Your teacher gave you a, a really hard book this time. I find it is not in the best interest of the child to remain in the home, and I order her detained. Why is Lucy going home with me? The second choice is the tear-jerking I Am Sam, starring Oscar-nominated Sean Penn as the title character and mentally challenged Sam. Despite the tenacious help of a lawyer, the court separates Sam from his daughter Lucy, saying he isn't smart enough to raise his child. As a tip, be sure to have ample tissues at the ready. What we created here may be unique in all of human existence. All the way to top. We created paradise. The 2016 film Captain Fantastic is also recommended. It follows the story of Ben, who raises his six children in the wilderness. He teaches the kids to think critically and guides them through a life without technology. What twist could happen when Ben takes his sheltered offspring out into the modern world? Another two picks are Parenthood from 1989, based on real-life experiences, and Father of the Bride from 1950, also adapted from a novel. This year, Father's Day falls just before the summer solstice, the perfect time to start summer with a father-focused barbecue, camping trip, beach day, or other outdoor activity. To all the dads out there, Happy Father's Day.